Good morning, you all. I am quite grateful that we are able to gather over Zoom this morning. I hope you all are well. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are able to gather together this morning. We pray for those affected by the hurricane, Lord, that you will protect and shelter all those who are in the storm's path. And Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts and minds and hands um, to receive your word. Amen. Before we enter into this morning's readings, I want to share with you all excerpts from a poem, actually, one that helped me as I thought through the writing of this sermon. Composed by the late 19th, early 20th century poet and Christian Rainer Maria Rocha, the piece is written as a prayer directed towards God, and it goes like this. Only in our doing can we grasp you. Only with our hands can we illumine you. The mind is but a visitor. It thinks us out of our world. I don't want to think a place for you. Speak to me from everywhere. Your gospel can be comprehended without looking for its source. When I go toward you, it is with my whole life. When I go toward you, it is with my whole life. The gospel reading for today presents a similar idea. In chapter six of the gospel of John, verse 56, Jesus says, Quote, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Abide here carries with it the connotations of dwelling, of staying or remaining. Those who eat and drink then, who physically partake in the materiality of Christ, stay in God and vice versa. Your whole life resides in God and God resides in your whole life if you participate in the real, active, substantive being of God. Okay, but what exactly does this mean? What does it mean to abide, to eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ's blood? Well, this particular language of abiding is used a few other times in the New Testament. For example, in the same gospel, John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus describes himself as the true vine, and those who abide in him as branches which bear fruit. Note that abiding here is directly related to the making of a visible, tangible goodness. If you live inside Christ and Christ lives inside you, then you will produce outside of yourself. Abiding appears again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, quote, all who obey his commands abide in him and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. Obey here comes from a Greek word meaning to keep to watch over or preserve. We abide in Christ and Christ in us when we embody and earnestly maintain the teachings of the spirit. This mutual indwelling occurs when we constantly and continuously follow through on the instructions and insights and encouragement given to us by God. And again, the language of abiding appears in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. After describing the love of others as evidence of the knowledge of God, John writes, God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. To confess an understanding of who Jesus is, one must first know who Jesus is. And according to John, to know who Christ is, one must love others. We then come to confess that Jesus is the son of God in part through the loving of others. How, according to these passages, does one eat of Christ's flesh and drink of his blood, thereby abiding in him? First, through the constant bearing forth of tangible fruit, that manufacturing of outward goodness through Christ-informed action. Second, 
to the consistent carrying out of Christ's teaching, that external embodiment of the spirit within. And third, through the active confession of the knowledge of God, which necessarily includes the loving of others. We abide in Christ by physically participating in the living being of God, the divine life which contains this life, your life, my life, the lives of others, the lives which Jesus redeemed to himself. This idea that remaining within God is dependent on our active participation in the movement and being of Christ is foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. Take, for example, our reading this morning, which details in part the renewal of the covenant between the Israelites and Yahweh at Shechem. Notice in particular verse 15 of our reading in which Joshua addresses the gathered Israelites and says, now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. One way of interpreting Joshua's final declaration here that he and his household will serve the Lord is as a statement of what Joshua's family, bloodline, or household intends to do. They will serve the Lord. But this morning, I want to offer an additional way of reading this verse. Joshua is drawing lines. He is declaring how he will pick his family and choose his house. He will side with, live with, tether himself in obligation to those who serve the Lord. Note here that the Hebrew word for serve means quite literally to work or to labor. Joshua is not simply describing a religiously encoded thought experiment or rhetorical assertion of doctrinal belief. He is not referencing simply a way of thinking about God. Service to the Lord here is labor. This constant work or service is rooted in a deep belief on Joshua's part that he is related to God in a particular and consequential way, which necessarily requires taking real action to recognize and realize that relation to God as Lord. According to Joshua, serving the Lord is the key identifier of who is in the house. Who is the house? Those who serve the Lord. At the beginning of this summer, I moved from Virginia to Connecticut. I took up residence in a new place and found myself asking a similar version of this question, who is my house? With whom can I work to bear fruit, to carry out obedience, to love others and thereby confess who I know God to be. Thankfully, I have found a number of people, people on this Zoom, actually, people in this church, with whom it is possible and easier to do goodness and to love others. But this question, who is my house, can also be asked in a different and honestly, perhaps more important way. Whose house am I in? In every area of my life, what kinds of relationships am I operating in? And what does that say about where you and I are abiding? Because that's the other thing to note about Joshua's declaration, quote, choose this day whom you will serve. We are inevitably serving someone. We will build something. We will dwell somewhere. We are always already choosing for whom we labor with the actions we take or refuse to take. What we do or don't do is intimately bound up with our knowledge and experience of, as well as participation in, the life of Christ. The way we choose to inhabit our lives contributes either to our acceptance or rejection of the knowledge of God. Perhaps this isn't so surprising. We all know, at least to some extent, that what we do matters. 
maybe then the issue is not realizing our labor matters, but instead doing that labor which serves the Lord. So what labor is for the Lord? We are all in different places in our lives. Perhaps you are zooming in this morning with a clear sense of your skills, talents, and callings. You know what you are about. Maybe you've already hit the books and you've done your research. You are more than aware of the different material shapes that evil take. You can identify pain, injustice, discrimination, racism, greed, poverty, ignorance, and deception. And you can rattle off exactly how those ills operate in this community. Perhaps you're a little lost on where exactly to begin. There are so many problems after all. And what can one individual do in the face of systemic issues? Maybe you are here and you have absolutely no idea what you are doing. <laughs> you do not know what God wants from you. Maybe the knowledge of Christ once came to you as easy as breath and you were so sure of what it meant to serve God, but you are now incapacitated with confusion about what God actually wants you to do. You followed the gifts God gave you at the advice of the mentors God provided, through the doors God opened, into living situations God created, and now you are lost and unsure if your labor does or will ever do any good. You've made definite choices with definite consequences, but you lack a definite understanding of what you are doing or what you are to do right now. Or perhaps you are here today and you do not think you can be of any use to anybody. After all, you need all the help you can get. How can you help others? Given these various possible predicaments, it seems we must ask how exactly do we choose whom we will serve? Where does our labor begin? Joshua chapter, chapter 24 actually suggests a rather simple, though perhaps not easy, first step. We remember. In verses 2 through 13 of chapter 24, Joshua narrates the ways in which Yahweh acted to and for the Israelites, emphasizing God's tangible and intimate presence through a focus on justice and deliverance by divine intervention. Who is Yahweh? Yahweh is who selected Abraham, created Isaac, gave Jacob and Esau, sent Moses and Aaron. Yahweh rescued the Israelites from Egypt. He plagued the Egyptians. He kept the Israelites in the wilderness and kept them alive in the wilderness. <laughs> he punished and protected and delivered this people through a series of battles and a slew of cities until they arrived, less in a land they did not tend to, living in cities they did not construct, and eating from fields they did not farm. It is after this narration that the majority of our morning reading picks up with, quote, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness, end quote. It is because of the actions of God in history that the Israelites come to serve and fear the Lord. We must remember God because God remembered us. We remember God because God remembered us. The Israelites themselves acknowledge this, saying that they will not forsake or forget God, quote, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. How do we choose whom we will serve? We remember. We start with what God did for us, with how God preserved and protected us, with how we came to know who God is. 
I'll give you all a personal example. It is a long story, but through a series of unfortunate events, I was 19 and homeless. I had something like $20 to my name, no job, no vehicle to transport myself to a job, and no relations to rely on. I was, as the psalmist from today's reading would say, brokenhearted. <laughs> and the Lord was very close to me. God remembered me in the provision of meals from others when I was hungry and tired with no idea of when I'd be able to afford groceries. God remembered me in shelter from people I barely knew, in spare beds and couches, in transportation each morning to my first job, each afternoon to my second job, and then back to a bed or couch at midnight. He remembered me when entire strangers stopped and asked to pray for me. He remembered me in mentors and counselors who guided me through institutions and questions of faith, who sat with me as I wrestled with all sorts of major decisions. I was preserved. I was protected. I was remembered. God is and was so kind to me. And God did not just remember me in my grief, but also in my joy. And the joy of friendships in good art, <laughs> the acquisition of knowledge and understanding in reading and writing, God made God's self known to me in so many ways. And my role in the covenant, my partaking of the blood and body of Christ, is to remember God by preserving and continuing that labor which the Lord conducted on my behalf. I am responsible to my memory of God. If my life does not reflect an active concern for the homeless, the poor, and the hungry, if my education is not used to teach and reach others, if my art does not point to a divine comfort and presence, then I am not remembering God. Because that is who and how God has been to me. How do we remember God? I have spent a decent portion of my summer working as an intern for St. John's in an attempt to, as Paul in the epistle reading today says, help gird us with truth, specifically with truth about New Haven, so that St. John's as a church might have some sense of where it could begin or continue to realize its remembrance of God. I'd like to share just a few bits of that information with you today. According to a 2020 study conducted by the state of Connecticut, Office of Legislative Research, there are approximately 40,000 children experiencing food insecurity in New Haven. Over 40,000 children in New Haven County are worried or will worry about whether or not they have enough to eat. Another study looking at data gathered between 2015 and 2019 found that nearly 27% of people in New Haven City are living in poverty, and that was before the pandemic. What about education? Surely with the dominating presence of a prestigious university such as Yale, the New Haven public school systems must be excellent. Only 22% of students in the New Haven public school system score at or above expected levels for math proficiency. Only 35% score at or above expected levels for reading proficiency. The majority of students are woefully behind in basic education, even compared to state averages and people of color are disproportionately represented in every single inequality in the city. While I am not familiar with every person at St. John's, I am sure that a large portion of us are not concerned about where our meals for the day will come from. 
most of us here feel at least okay with our finances. And there are a number of us who are beyond well-educated. Are we remembering to others what God did to us? We don't have to do it all by ourselves. <laughs> there are food banks and soup kitchens. There are public libraries with tutoring programs, shelters, and career-oriented nonprofits. But we are called to participate. We get the opportunity to abide in the life of Christ by partaking in these activities. That, that's our calling. If our service does not function in operating through that memory of how God treated us, we are not serving God. We are not a part of the house. We are abiding elsewhere. And what happens when we are not a part of the house? What happens when we forget good and either our active willpower or our passive lack of willpower uh, nurture evil, remembering and revering what is not God? In verse 16 of today's psalm, we are offered this image. Quote, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to root out the remembrance of them from the earth. Or to return to the language of abiding in the gospel of John, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses one and two, quote, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Unquote. If our action and inaction nurture evil, if our action and inaction forget God, then God will forget us. This may be, as the gospel today says, a difficult teaching to accept. And of course, there is grace. But to whom can we go, right? That's, that's what the disciples ask. They know it's a difficult teaching to accept. They understand that this is a life obligation. And their response is, but to whom can we go? Because God remembered us, we should remember God. To remember God means to abide in the being of Christ by eating of Jesus's flesh and drinking of his blood, to produce and partake in honor of how God remembered us, to bear forth tangible fruits through goodness that moves outward, to listen to the spirit through concrete obedience, and to actively confess the knowledge of God through the loving of others. As we end today, I want to note that those words which Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, abide in me and I in them, are repeated and echoed throughout each account of the Last Supper as recorded in the Gospels. In the account recorded in Luke chapter 22, Jesus takes a loaf of bread symbolizing his flesh, gives thanks, breaks the bread, and then says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If there is one way to summarize the message I believe the Lord has for us today, it is this. Do in remembrance of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to commune with others and with you about you. Lord, thank you that you have offered us um, your flesh and your blood to partake in. Thank you that we have the ability to participate in how you live and move through this world, Lord. I just pray that you will prepare us for opportunities as they arrive, that you will open our eyes and hearts and hands, that you will move our feet and our bodies into 
the confession of the knowledge of God that you have already given us. God, I pray that you encourage us, that you show us where to start. And that you assure us that what we are doing is in service of you, Lord. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.